It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 303, Jesus is the bread of life. After Jesus walks on water, it says in multiple gospel accounts that immediately they arrive on the far side. Was the boat translated to the other side, like the story of Philip in the book of Acts? Or was this just a figure of speech? You decide. Mark 6:53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats on, to wherever he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. When they arrive, this other side, it's close, but not the exact location of where Jesus originally delivered the man at the gatherings. Basically, his testimony prepared their hearts for the arrival of Jesus again. And this is similar to John the Baptist preparing the way. In this case, the demonized, delivered man was the one who prepared the way with his testimony. His testimony basically evangelized the entire region What does it say in Revelation 19.10? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Want to evangelize? Tell your story, your testimony. One of my friends in Charlotte, North Carolina, told his testimony at a men's event. It was profound, and it included God delivering him from alcohol abuse and wild living. He said when uh, the men's leader asked him to tell his testimony, he thought, I don't have a testimony. But once he reflected on it, it was profound. He's like, I have a testimony to tell. And that's what the the men's leader was telling my friend to to tell his testimony. Everyone has a story. Every saved, healed, delivered Christian has a story. Tell your story, and it will impact others. It's your greatest tool of evangelism. But it's also powerful when we reflect upon what God has done in our lives. It builds our faith to remember and to tell the story again. And also, if it can happen to you, it can happen to others as well. The releasing of the testimony uh, creates a faith and an atmosphere to others take hold of it. At their powerful revival on the far shore, Jesus returns to Capernaum. And for context, we have to remember Jesus was fully human and he's fully man, but he was still a man. And what I mean by this is Uh, It's been nonstop for Jesus, nonstop, not getting enough time to mourn for John the Baptist, revival, multiplication of food, walking on water, and now immediately on the other side, no chance to rest, all ministry. Jesus, from the human perspective, has to be thoroughly exhausted. From this perspective, we have to understand the rawness of his message. It's going to be a raw message. Uh, It's going to be a refined. It's not going to be refined. And, And let's keep in mind, Jesus is sinless. He is the sinless lamb of God, or we couldn't have fulfilled the law as the sinless sacrifice. Being impatient, raw in your speech, isn't necessarily sin. Hate is generally wrong, but it depends on the hate. Hate for sin, well, that's okay. 
but hate for man is a prelude to greater sin. What about fear? Fear is terrible, leads to faulty decision-making, all centered around not giving in to your fears. Here's a silly one, um, but so true. Say you have a fear of flying. So you don't, so you drive everywhere or you take a train, but God has called you to the mission field. Do you say no to the mission field because you have to fly and your fear of flying? It's a simple example of allowing your fears to prevent you from doing missions work. Fear is terrible, but then again, there's good fear, the fear of God. The fear of God, the trembling fear of upsetting your Heavenly Father by sinning and creating a separation with Him. It's the fear of allowing yourself to have an idol that gets in the way of your faith in God. It's the fear of God that actually keeps you from sin. So God is dealing with a lot here. Humanity aside, He's getting confronted at a weak moment by the Pharisees. Since the rawness of the message, and also consider uh, the something that comes out at the end. And I think he's discerning something nasty in his own camp, too. And the wickedness of Judas Iscariot is becoming more and more obvious to him. John 6.25 When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your full. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. He's right. The disciples and the thousands who ate the bread and ate the fish tasted figuratively, and let's say literally, of the new covenant and the fulfillment of the law with the first breaking of the bread by Jesus. In my words, Jesus is saying, you're looking for me because you've tasted of heaven. You've tasted of the new covenant. And further, it says God has placed his seal of approval on Jesus and those who partake in the new covenant. The symbolism and layers of meaning can be taught on for lifetimes, really. Uh, Jesus is a word and the bread of life. He's the fulfillment of the law. He has substance. He has provision. He has our access to the eternal tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit circulating in our midst and within us. Jesus is the bread, the nourishment in our spiritual walk. The meanings are real, physical, emotional, spiritual, symbolic, yet spiritually true. Everything is interconnected, layers and layers of meaning. The lesson coming up soon is, you, you don't get hung up on what you don't understand. And as well, sometimes we just have to rest in what we don't know. Because I don't fully understand communion in its own ways and, and some of these teachings of Jesus. I mean, he will say it soon. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> it's the hardest message. And he says it to the Pharisees. He's asking for it. Um, sometimes we just have to trust what he says is true, even when we can't understand it. John six twenty eight. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? It, it gets so irritated with stupid questions like this, right? Give us a sign. Has he not given you enough signs, Pharisees? <laughs> it's just so crazy. Open up your eyes. Miracles are happening everywhere. Um, it's it's funny, you know, the whole Gideon story, right? If you go back in time, way back, and 
every time he tested God, God tested him. <laughs> you know, the, the miracles are in front of him. Um, Gideon could have just read the scrolls, you know, and, oh, right, all right. So faith really is just knowing that if he did it for Moses, he'll do it for me. Okay. You know, instead it's like, you know, all right, Lord, if I put the cloak out, it's going to be wet um, and on the cloak and on, on the ground. And let's do the opposite the next day. And, and then so Jesus and God's like, okay, great. I'll give you your army. And then, and then next God starts, you know, dealing with his army, uh, reducing the numbers. So none of the, you know, he questioned God and tested God and God tested him. Faith is just taking it, God, at his word. If he will protect you, if he'll grant you victory, that is what he spoke, and that's what he'll do. Open your eyes, Pharisees. The miracles have already happened. Why do you need a sign? And Jesus could have given him a sign right then. He purposely didn't do it. He purposely didn't give him a sign because their hearts were hardened. So, John 6.30, Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now this is where Jesus could have, let's just say, you know, tampered down part of the message that makes it sound like Christians, you know, pretty soon it's going to sound like Christians are vampires drinking blood. But hey, you know, Jesus just doesn't care. Um, sometimes I wonder if he was wanting to test his disciples with the hard message. Uh, perhaps he was pulling a John 15, trimming the branches of weak believers off of them. Or maybe he was just really raw in this moment. Um, you, you decide. John 6:41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, saying, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And John has a ton of dialogue, the book of John. But let's push to John 6.51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as a living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in Capernaum. So the message and words are amazing here, uh, but I have to admit, 2,000 years later, I don't truly get it. And and I don't really think the body of Christ um, realizes what he's truly saying here 
and how it works. And maybe we won't until heaven, um, how we, you know, it is his, we understand the power of the blood of Jesus. I, I think that that teaching's gone throughout the earth. Um, but to, you know, how, what he's truly saying here um, is still a mystery. And some things we just have to believe in versus question and um, cause a rift. And, and that's what happens here. It's almost like he's weeding out his disciples with a very hard message. John six sixty. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about it, Jesus said, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one could come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. While this is a crazy hard sermon, it served many purposes. It thinned the ranks of shallow believers who worshipped with their head on things they understood, but not their heart. John six sixty seven. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you are the Holy One of God. Go, Peter, right? He's on. He gets it. The message here is don't leave when you don't get something. Just don't. It's foolish to leave when something doesn't go your way. I mean, Peter didn't understand Jesus walking on water, but Peter just walked on water. You know, how could he leave, right? The disciples that left, they didn't pray about it. They were just, they were offended. They were hard of heart. Was it a hard message? Yes. And it still is. But get over it. Some things you have to take on faith. And that's why it's called faith. And not to end Jesus' message with, you know, another gigantic bang. He's losing disciples, and the Pharisees think they got him good, right? And then Jesus says this, John 6, 70. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. After this, the worst sermon in world history when it comes to church growth. I imagine one of Jesus' guys approaches him, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit, and it says, it's time for a break, don't you think? <laughs> you know, it's what every junior pastor should say to their senior pastor after a, a very raw message. And let's, you know, hey, it, it's time for a break. And perhaps he didn't need to say Judas was a devil. <laughs> uh, I would like to think that wasn't necessary, but, um, you know, Jesus it makes it clear to us, though. It says Jesus knew all along. Um, so he knew he would betray him even when he picked him. And that's when we talked about the picking of the 12 disciples. That's a hard one, right? You know, and it was prophesied one would betray him, and he actually chose him and how that works and how one's heart can handle that. It's a hard one. 
And I would guess a few of the other disciples uh, know that Judas is picking money out of the, the money bag. Uh, and they probably told Jesus, hey, something isn't adding up with Judas. And that's what happens next. Um, you know, that whole, hey, let's take a break. Uh, Jesus and his team, they do go, they go north. Uh, they leave the country for what would take at least a few days just to get there. Um, and they're going to stay at least a few days. Uh, a week or two vacation, maybe, is what we're seeing. Um, all from Matthew fifteen twenty one, which we'll cover next week or uh, next episode. Um, a vacation was long overdue for Jesus. And hopefully, as he heads up to Tyre and Sidon, or at least uh, he does minister up there to kind of a Syrophoenician woman. Um, so it does tell us where he went to. And hopefully he'll stop at a beach near Tyre, in Tyre or Sidon, uh, which would be current Lebanon. Um, though it's a war zone today, um, it's a beautiful place. Um, at least it was. Um, there's a great beach there. Uh, but I recall Psalm 23, too, uh, when it says, um, He leads me beside still waters, and He restores my soul. I plan to go to the beach a few times this summer. Um, we went to Wilmington, North Carolina last weekend. Uh, plan to go to Charleston, South Carolina in a couple of weeks. And I can tell you this, though. Um, I, you know, I went there, and I just sat on the beach. Uh, we made ridiculous sandcastles that didn't last a few hours. Um, I was perfectly content for a few hours, and that scripture seems just so true. You know, it leads me beside still waters to restore my soul. And I got to think this is time for Jesus to relax, allow himself to rest. Though it says um, the seventh day is holy, uh, it's abundantly clear from other accounts we are to embrace, embrace rest working from rest, not working to rest. And we're supposed to, you know, have quiet time with our father, our family. It's required. Um, I've seen plenty of burnout in the work world. I've seen plenty of burnout in ministries and pastors who run so hard. Uh, they forget it's a marathon race. It's not a sprint. We wear ourselves down way too much. And and when you wear yourself down too much, you allow temptation to hit harder than it should. Even the secular world knows this. I've seen in businesses in uh, employee handbooks where they allow weeks of vacation, of course. Uh, but further, even large corporations allow um, a six-month sabbatical once a person has 10 years tender. I've seen that in huge organizations. Um, it's a known fact that burnout, exhaustion is a real thing. And Jesus is running hard, but he knows it's time to take a break. And it's funny, we don't know, you know, we wouldn't know he took a break um, if he doesn't minister to the Syrophoenician woman in the next episode uh, because she receives her healing, or at least her family does. And further, I would think Jesus needed to get away to complete his mourning for John the Baptist as well. And the message of this episode, beyond the bread of life teachings, take a break. Embrace rest as a lifestyle. Work from it, not for it. You know, we're working, you know, if we're to live in the spirit, it's almost like we're to live in rest. So we may work from rest and be still and know that I am God, right?
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to check out the website, messagetokings.com, uh, or if you want to chat or connect with us, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.